Welcome to Hearts and Minds. My name is Catherine McMahon and I'm joined here with Maura Cassidy. Today we're going to talk about divine providence. Um, just basically, we thought it would be a good idea to talk about it because of lockdown and the various other things that we could be questioning about our faith and what is God's providence in this situation right now. So here we are. Here we are. So um, I suppose it's it starts off with, isn't God supposed to be in charge you know, and we let go of things, go, well, okay, maybe that's not meant to be, or maybe that's not meant to be. And without realizing it, I think what can happen is our faith is eroded. So I thought it would be good to start with, well, what providence is not? Um, and it's, it seems kind of funny to define something by what it's not. Maybe it's an Irishism, but no, it's here it goes. Process of elimination. So I suppose I, the, I like to think of it, it's not a fairy tale. You know, it's not like God of the Incredibles, you know, puts on a suit and miraculous powers will look after you. And that sounds almost irreligious to say that, because obviously, you know, coming from the Judeo-Christian background, we believe in miracles. We do believe that God intervenes in very particular ways in our world. So, but the idea of a fairy tale existence would suggest that we don't have any agency, you know, to undermine our own freedom. Like when uh, you mean fairy tale, you mean like... I hand myself over to God and anything that goes, goes, and I'll just accept it as is. Yeah, too. Well, on the one hand, like a Shrek, you know, Shrek, where everything's pretty and beautiful and almost like Disney. And the other hand, exactly what you've described there, this passive thing, God, take me now whenever you want and I don't mind. Mm. Almost like you don't have any human sort of choice or freedom or agency. And yeah. you think your faith is all about that kind of element of abandonment. Yeah, and it's a false understanding of that level of trust, really, um, because divine providence really is quite gritty. Um, it's not a panacea. It's um, it's a it's a very much a sober reality of the fact that God um, has a plan for us, that He has a will for this world and for each one of us, and we participate in that. It's not a it's not a given. You know, it's not like a machine divine, you know, divine providence that, you know, it just like all the cogs and pieces move. And then if you're naughty, you step outside and God, get back in line. You're out of his divine plan. Yeah, it's kind of like a queuing system. You know, you go to the passport office and you get your number. I know you missed your number. Oops, Hmm. boo boo there. So that's not what it is. Um, So I think believing in. In, in divine filiation, in divine providence, rather, is um, it's not that benign acceptance. It's not the fairy tale. It's not the queuing system. I think the best place to to, to sort of dig into it is is it actually in the Gospels where Jesus um, does the Sermon of the Mount. And um, there's two very interesting things there. Well, I'm sure there's lots more. Mm. But, um, and one is that he says the idea that the birds and the lilies, you know, that the birds fly away or they do their thing and, you know, God knows if one of them dropped down and the lilies look beautiful and they don't have any part in it. God makes it that way. Mm. And then the other hand, you have the actual, you have the Beatitudes, which are pretty hard hitting. Like, Mm. you know, you're getting ready for sort of blessed are the beautiful, blessed are the successful, and it's blessed are the meek, blessed are the persecuted, blessed blessed if you really, everything goes wrong in your life because you're really doing a wonderful job, which is a very bitter pill to follow, swallow. So I think that's where um, getting divine providence really is about um, putting God's insight first. Um, Now, the way I like to think of that is God's insight is a massive gear shift for us, massive, because, of course, um, we don't like that because we're the one driving the car and we say to God, look at me, I'm great and I need your help right now. That's the way we tend to like to work, whereas divine providence is saying, well, God's 
where are you God in this? What, what can we do together in this? Where are you leading me in this? And because of that, um, we, our lives acquire a dimension, a perspective, a depth. There's a before and after with it, basically. I think I grapple with the thing of divine providence being either fixed or, like you said, out of sync, like you're out of the queue, like mm. this element of predestination. You know, mm. your life is predestined. Oh, yeah. So even if you make a decision or you fall down a pothole or, you know, whatever happens to you, God knew that anyway, you know. Um, and so divine providence is basically accepting your your fate of what's happening in your life. I think that's certainly... That's, yeah, that's a big issue. How can be viewed as, you know, like... Your freedom is one thing, but ultimately God has already weaved your your canvas, like he's already weaved your tapestry. Okay, now I'm going to say this lovely <laughs> word. Did you say it's a mystery? Which of course sounds like a complete get out of jail card. It saying. is a get out of jail You clearly card, have yeah, no yeah. idea what you're talking about. But I think there's two elements to that that can give us a bit of perspective on that. One is to take on board God's insight, what's needed. You know, we talk about reframing. We talk about... Um, yeah, we talk about reframing a lot in just, you know, we talk about work and things like that. In the in the Catholic perspective, and Lent is 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 with us, um, we talk about conversion and we talk about repentance. Um, and that's the light bulb moment, is that we can never we can't really take on God's perspective, in other words, God's plans without that openness that comes from conversion. And I don't mean necessarily that woe is me, I'm a horrible sinner. Conversion can also be, and there are, of course, it does embrace all sort of evils that we may do, because obviously nothing is outside God's forgiveness. But conversion is also conversion of heart, which recognizes that God is God and I'm human. I'm a creature. And so to really, we can have sort of technical and theoretical conversations about divine providence, which are really interesting and really important. But the conversion of heart needs to take place in each person. There needs to be an openness there to go, God, what? That you're so much bigger than me, that there's a lot about this world or my life experience that I'm not going to get unless I try consistently to get on your page. And there is a change that takes place. And it does, it's like seeing life in technicolor as opposed to black and white. Um, and again, I suppose there, it's that identification, that sort of acknowledgement, you know, that I did that wrong or I could do, could have done that differently. The other side of it, I think, is, is quite important is the thing of the challenge of evil and suffering. Because um, how does God allow them? Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, you know, and even as you say divine providence, you think of all the terrible things that are happening in the world, say with the pandemic or your natural disasters. or And some people have it very hard. Exactly. You know, and you kind of look at that and you kind of go, where, how can that person believe in God? You know what mm. I mean? If they're challenged, if their faith is challenged. And objectively, you look at it and you say, yeah, that is very, very difficult. If mm. they've had a really, really difficult time. You know? And I'm not in any way celebrating evil and either the, God doesn't either. But I think you have to go back to the history books like you have to do for everything in life to find the answers and the reasons for things. But at the moment, you know, we're reading the book of Genesis and it's Adam and Eve. And what do we see there? We see the fact that... Like in mass, you mean? That's it, no, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were just, we're reading the book of Genesis. I was, I'm, reading, I'm certainly not like reading like the book of Genesis. No, it's mass. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, First so reading. I think... Um, when you read that, there's a kind of a, 
it's kind of almost childish in a way. You know, it's kind of there's an illogicalness, if there's a word. It's illogical. Mm. The fact that you have Adam and Eve happy out, they're in the Garden of Eden. They have the gift of immortality, beauty, all the things that we don't have. They're in an absolutely beautiful spot. And then, you know, in comes the serpent, the devil, the, and the allegory basically they take the fruit because they want to be like God. So suspicion, power hungry, etc. And how illogical that is. I think it's good to sit with that, that as human beings, we are created out of the bountifulness of God's love. And we turn around and go, a little bit of an upmanship. Well, I want your spot, move over. You know, like mm. a little two-year-old almost. Mm. So I think it's good to sit with that, that that rejection of God was like the domino effect that introduced suffering into the world. And it also introduced evil into the world. And um, so it's not like as if God's providence is, oh, he brought down earthquakes and he rained, you know, fire and brimstone on people um, because you're bad people. I think that's a bit simplistic to look at it that way. I think that's important that when we read the Bible, that we have a good um, narrative with it, you know, a solid mm. uh, interpretation, exegesis, as they call it, because otherwise we could be quite scandalized with how God comes across. But in all of this, I think evil and suffering um, God has to tolerate it because if he took it away, it's a bit like as if he used the undo key, you know, the tab on the computer and said, okay, let's just pretend it, yeah. that didn't happen. And God can't do that because that's an absolute undermining of our personal freedom. Yeah. So that's the challenge, I think, is sitting with the mystery of how in God's name did Adam and Eve allow that to happen? And yet at the same time, you know, if we're being real, God, I, I don't know, I think I might have done an even a two and taken a big chunk out of that apple because, mm. you know, we're very limited. So I think it's it's also appreciating that. Yeah, I think that when when you come to Easter and they say Felix culpa, you know, mm. this... Um, Happy fault. <clears throat> yeah, and understanding that element of even though we have original sin introduced into the world through our favourite friends, Adam and Eve, and... Um, but ultimately, what it brought out was something really, really beautiful, which was Christ's love for us. Mm. Um, and we would never have had that. Mm. No, I, I think if it, it wasn't for, you know, the the evil that, you know, came into the world. And in a sense, I think that's helpful, even when we're looking at our own uh, providence, like our personal providence or divine providence in our lives. There are things that don't go well naturally um, and that we suffer. And yet out of those things, God draws a lot of mm. good. And it's lovely to see that and see that kind of written down and you kind of go, yeah, that's can come across a little bit cliche, but there is a deep theological reality um, to do with that mm. um, truth, you know, and to dig deep into that, I think is helpful. Clearly. And I think um, you see it in the saints, obviously, but I think St. John Paul II is a wonderful example of that, that abandonment for him as our trust in God or all of the terrible things that happened to him personally by the age of 21, like he'd lost his whole family. Mm. And, um, and he realized, okay, God wants to take over here. And I think that's just so powerful. And yet it's so difficult in the moment. Um, I think it, it's, it's, it, you mentioned there, it's reflecting on the patterns, you know, in life. You know, we can recognize patterns in so many things. Like it's lovely to see the stretch in the evenings now. You know, we've got 10 degrees from minus whatever. But um, the patterns of how to zoom out the lens and even think, what are the underlying patterns in my life? You know, as you mentioned there, you know, what could 
possibly the meaning of that event of being or that encounter or that success or that failure, you know, and you do sense behind those events, you know, potentially a new power, a new purpose. Um, and, and I think that's, it's, it's, it's a real renewal of our own faith. You can only really do it with that sense of faith. What I mean by that is just trusting in God, that God, where were you there? Mm. You know, it's like the famous footprint story, you know. Um, you know oh, the, yeah, the, the sand. The, mm. the sand, the single footprints and God, where were you? Well, I was carrying you. It, it, divine providence is really, a, it, it's demand on one hand, because as I said, we need to be able to step into that space of conversion and repentance. But it's also a huge promise. And um, because when we discover, you know, the power of, of God's providence, then I think there's no really going back in a way. We don't see things as predetermined. We see things as infinitely fluid. There's so many possibilities out there. And um, because when we can collaborate with God, mm. and I think that's the that's the real sweet spot. He kind of it's, counts on our creativity. He counts on our creativity. He counts on us. Okay, what can we do together here? And it's almost sometimes it's like it's a partnership that's kind of like, where's God and where am I? Obviously, God is doing crazy things, but it is a beautiful thing to think of how much, you know, you mentioned it there, that Felix Culpa, how happy fault, you know. Mm. Um, it is, you do see that so much in our life that there are certain things that we almost wish hadn't happened maybe sometimes, but then other things we go, wow, it's like as if God makes up over and over and above what we ever expected. Yeah. Um, I so, have to say when... Um, when you listen or when you when you read great classic authors, you know, like Leo Tolstoy or Charles Dickens even, um even it <laughs> sounds like I'm kind of questioning his 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 ability to write. But um when you read these authors, I remember I remember having a discussion about this at one stage about these people who whose lives were pretty difficult and they were they weren't actually easy people to get on with i mean tolstoy was an amazing uh, writer but apparently he wasn't the best of husbands you know and where am i getting to with this i i think th there's an element of people's difficulties in life and people's sufferings can actually bring forth a huge amount of beauty whether it's on canvas or in literature or in even in just an insight. And they could never have that unless they actually suffered. And you mm. don't want that suffering for that person. But if they didn't have that edge, if they didn't have um, that richness of experiences, they could never have that empathy or engagement with humanity. Mm. Um, and I think it's just helpful when we think about our own lives in that regard, mm. you know. Well, I know I've often said it, but say even the case of T.S. Eliot, like his incredible poetry, but he wrote so much of his best poetry when he was in a marriage that was very challenging. And then um, because he, that was how he, he always self-realization through putting the words on the page and the beauty, uh, the beauty that he had to find and the depth he mm -hmm. had to find in that. And then when his wife passed away and then later, you know, he found his true true love, maybe you, you could call it, um, you know, he stopped mm. writing poetry. So I think oh, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, he didn't, I'm sure he wrote some, but it wasn't certainly as famous as his earlier poetry. Yeah, you look at like Cardinal um, Newman, you know, like he, I mean, his greatest works were really at a time when he, like he was at his lowest ebb in reality. Mm. He he thought himself to be kind of a bit of a disaster or whatever at, uh, during a period of his time, of his life. 
And it's those books that mm. we we look back on and we read and we we get a lot of meat out of, mm. you know. It's just oh, helpful, yeah. I think. Even great writers like Guardini, like he's, he was very, he suffered with mental health for, mo- mm. for so much of his life. And yet how inspiring his, his writing is. And so none of things that we would see as showstoppers or as limitations. And I think that's the amazing thing is that, um, you know, divine providence helps us to look at the world and, try to find our meaning in it, that God's in charge of that. And at the same time that he wants us who are weak and limited and have our challenges, which God doesn't have a problem with, to actually be part of, you might say, making the kingdom of God on earth. Okay. Mm. Now, what I mean by that is the truth is, is that um, the new world, you know, you read in the book of the apocalypse, you know, what's, what does that mean? What does that mean by the new heaven and new earth? Well, it's 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 in the process of emerging right now in our divine, you know, in our lives. Each of us writes a page of that history. And that's the beautiful thing about how God works with us. He, he He's like a child. He lets you take the pen and he likes you write on all, you know, kids writing is, isn't exactly the most legible or, but he, he, he helps us, he allows us to write straight almost with crooked lines as the expression mm. goes. God doesn't have a problem. He wants us just to participate and it doesn't need to be perfect or successful as we see it. It's actually our limitations which make it even more sort of um, and neither, gracious. Th- neither and neither is he beautiful. doing it to just humor us. You know, and no. I think that is helpful. He counts on our on our freedom and our insights. Mm. And I think sometimes we probably surprise him, you know. And I hope it's su- possible within the divine realm, you know. But yeah, I do I do think Well so. it says that, you know, we delight him. That's mm. what scripture says, which is a beautiful thing to think. Mm. You know, I don't think we reflect on that enough. I suppose uh, you know, for me I think it's a, it's a good to reflect on well, how can we discover God's providence, you know, more and more. And I think it is about just trying to renew our trust. You mm. know, um, I know COVID, we mentioned at the beginning there, we're, we're not able to rely on the same things as we used to before, you know. Um, the usual pick-me-ups, um, we're paring back in many ways. No sun holidays, no this, no that, no the other. So there is a space there, I think, to sort of zoom out the lens and go, what could God be saying to me in this? Or how might I look at that relationship differently? Or, and I do think that openness to God, whether it's just talking to God on one of your little 5K, you know, kilometer walks, Mm. um, is a really beautiful thing. And it really does change how we see things. Mm. You know, we really do change our perspective. And um, and it it leads to a lot of peace, a lot of peace of heart and a great sense of fulfillment. Mm. Because I think so often we think it's like our providence that we have to be in charge. And then we draw God into that, where that's really, it's completely the opposite way around. Mm. You know. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much, Maura. Um, we'll we're going to wrap up now. So, if you do have any suggestions with regards podcasts, we're very open to them. Um, we have taken on board quite a lot of suggestions that have been given to us over the months, and they've been hugely helpful and uh, very helpful for other people. So, you can just message us or drop us an email or anything, and we'd be delighted to help. <laughs>